0: Hello and welcome back to the Cave Escape Podcast. I'm Ashton Goolsby and I'm Caleb Groves, and we are here again this week, and we are just kind of here wanting to talk about stories, just stories that we enjoy, why we enjoy certain ones of them. We've already at this point been talking before the show, about getting like an hyped, hour. <laughs> getting hyped up <laughs> about different books and movies and things that we like. Mm-hmm. But there's something just inherent to story that, I mean, every culture has story and we enjoy stories, especially mm. like little kids. If they enjoy a story, we we'll just want to hear it again and again and again. And we think that's a trait of kids, but sometimes realizing that it's, it's just something even in us as we get older and become adults, there's yeah. just stories that we just enjoy hearing over and over and over again. Right. And
1: stories are just an important, I think stories are way more of an important aspect of like, human existence really and like culture and society yeah. and like yeah. being a part of a culture that has all these like stories that have been passed down. is just kind of a thing that we've lost. Yeah. And we don't really see stories as being that important to who we actually are. Hmm. Yeah. Which kind of sucks. Yeah. That was actually a
0: conversation I was having with somebody recently. Um, I met somebody and they were asking me uh, what kind of books I like to read. And she started listing off all these um, like theological works hmm. and like very like serious things, and I I, like, <laughs> I think to say back was uh, Lord of the Rings, Narnia, <laughs> the Space Trilogy, and Saint Augustine. <laughs> and I was like, I gotta say something serious sounding at the end, right? But then I was talking to one of my roommates afterwards, and I said, "There's I feel like a sense in which we forget that even." A story has a theological or real world underlying theme to it. If it's right. a good story, it's going to be a good outlook on the world or philosophical, theological mm-hmm. understanding it's of gonna it. It's
1: going to have like certain like transcendental truths yeah, yeah. in
0: it. Yeah, and you get those truths from reading stories, and in a way it helps you, I think, see it better than if you're I mean, I'm not have nothing against reading theology, Mm -hmm. but reading a story, I feel like helps you see it a lot of times better. Yeah. Than if you just sat down and just read just straight theology. That is true.
1: There's a oh what book is it? It's called like Holy War. It might be called Holy War. I cannot remember what it is, but it's sort of like a analogy type of thing, sort of like Pilgrim's Progress, but not quite. There's like this city, which is supposed to be like a person's soul. Mm-hmm. And then they have like all these analogies of like these giants that come and like destroy the city and the city like becomes a horrible, like place of defilement or whatever. And then there's a king that comes and like saves the soul and whatever. And so it's like this whole, like, it's just like the gospel story, but like this, like kind of epic story about this city and how it like was completely destitute and was redeemed. And it's like analogous to the human soul. I cannot, I want to say it was called Holy War but I can't remember who wrote it. That does sound like a
0: pretty cool story. Um, it makes me think of... Um, I had to read... It was back in... The school I would teach at does a, a history week every year where we'll pick a different country and we'll talk about different... Just things from this country and history. And this year it was uh, England. And so I read them a story of St. George and the Dragon, which I hadn't read in years since I was little. But there was even one reading it. It's about... There's this kingdom that's plagued by a dragon, and they have to try to appease the dragon or else it will come and kill them. and the way they finally have to appease it is sending the the daughter of the king out, and the king can't defend his own kingdom, sends his daughter out to be eaten by the serpent, and then this knight shows up who has a red cross on him. He's, he's clothed in white with a red cross on him. Mm-hmm. Shows up and says, I will not abandon you, Stays, slays the dragon, he subdues the dragon, leads it into the kingdom. It's harmless now. He's he's put out its fire, and then he cuts his head off and lays it at the feet of the king. But just the way that symbolizes we are the bride, we're the daughter, we're the descendants of the original king, Adam. We're sent out to the serpent to be fed to the serpent to die. This person who is blameless except for this cross, which the crimson would be the blood that was shed. Right then comes, subdues the dragon, crushes its head, and then leads it into the kingdom and ultimately at the feet of the king, slays it. You I mean you have this beautiful picture of what Christ did for his church in this mm-hmm. story. And that's what your story kind of made me think of. Yeah.
1: Yeah. But like those stories just kind of give us a they can I think they can often give us a better understanding, but they definitely give us like a more full picture of what that like, idea or concept is. Yeah, definitely. Depending, I mean, like, and it doesn't have to just be the gospel. Like, it can be mm-hmm. other things, too. I read a book in, like, middle school or high school, I think. I think it was just called Grammarland, but it was just, like, there was this, like, the court in this kingdom, and all the people were, like, different parts of speech, and they all interacted with each other differently, and, like, according to how the parts of speech act and, like, punctuation <laughs> and stuff. It was, it was actually pretty funny. But that was, like, actually a pretty helpful way to, like, learn what the different, like, punctuation and syntax. There's, like, a syntax guy who has, like, made all the rules for everybody and stuff. (laughs) And anyway. So, stuff like, like, I just think that that's, like, a very helpful way. Because, like, also, kids don't like to read lists of rules. And it's not easy to, like, it's just easier to learn things through story.
0: Yeah, definitely. Like,
1: if you give a kid that book and, like, here, read this book, they're going to read the book understand the story and like how the characters interact with each other because it's like regular life. But then also at the same time, they're learning how the different parts of speech interact with each other. Yeah. Rather than just having to memorize the definition of a noun, the definition of a verb and how all the exceptions work and everything. It's just like, not, it's not as fun. It's also more complicated. Yeah. And it's also like, like I was saying, I think it's not the way that our brains naturally work. I think that story is way more integral to who we are as humans than, we actually think of it now most of the time.
0: Definitely. That's something I've even noticed. Just in the two years that I've done teaching, we switched history curriculums this past year. So I was doing medieval, but they did, they decided they wanted to try a new curriculum, and that put me with the Greek and Roman time period. The Greek and Roman curriculum we switched to this year, the idea was it had more content than the other one, which it certainly did. It has more content than we could get through in a year. But the way they present it, they tried to, um, they tried to make it fun and interesting instead of just telling the story as it flows, and connecting points previous to at the same time this is going on over here, and they just kind of give the facts and try to give them in a fun way, mm-hmm. but they're still just kind of presenting facts and not really giving a narrative of it. Versus, and this is the crazy thing, we're not doing English history this year yet we have. From some points of view, you might say, I don't consider it a waste, but some might say uh, wasted time talking about the English monarchy because there's a story there. So my class last year, one of the things we incorporated into, even though it was not part of the curriculum I was given, we went through the story of from the Norman Conquest, the story of how the crown passed down. They loved that. They had a billion questions on it, more than we could get through in the time that I had set aside for it. And even this year, things will come out, especially with the passing of Queen Elizabeth back in the right. before the year ended. There's all these things we we would talk about and then History Week came up again, but I would and even last week for some reason we were talking about the War of the Roses. But mm. they find it interesting because there's a story to it. Yeah. And again, like you said, it's not necessarily always the gospel story, but there's something about story that we just we just love it. And I mean, they're learning things, and as important things, as history. But once they forget, uh, it's a history thing, it might be on a test later, and it's just a story, right. they will sit and they will listen to it. Mm-hmm. And that's the crazy thing I found. And even the headmaster told me, he said, if you read them a story, they will sit there forever and listen to you read that story. And there would even be times where I would read them a story and be like, well, this story's over. Um, We've got like 10 minutes. Uh, maybe we can move on to this. And they would just go, well, can you just read us another story? Do you, ha- mm-hmm. do you have another story? Like, well, there is another story after it, but it doesn't have to do with our class. They go, well, we don't mind. And they would sit there for another 10, 15 minutes and let me just read them a story. That's cool. This <laughs> is it's crazy how, just how much we, even from a very young age, just love story.
1: Yeah. Well, we should talk about some specific stories that we like <laughs> and why we like them and why we think they're good. We might as well get Lord of the Rings out of the way first. Okay, uh, <laughs> we, we knew it was coming up.
0: Yep. That was that was my first choice anyway.
1: Yeah. Now
0: that's that's another one too, which I know, I know a couple people who would come back and fight me on this. I know it's not a strict allegory of scripture, <laughs> but there's so much of it that I think is theological. Oh yeah. And it, in a lot of ways, I think it helps. It helps me understand some theological concepts as far as like relationships between characters and hmm. also just the idea of having a calling and rising to it and persevering through hardship. Yeah. I feel like so much of it whether he m- intended it to be or not as I mean he was Tolkien was a Christian. Right. So much of his Christian theology just came out in his work. Yeah. just like Dr. Rogers told us in um creative writing he said, when you write a story, just he said, if you just write what is true, you will have a good story.
1: Yeah, I remember that.
0: He said, don't worry about expressing yourself. Write what is true, and in the end, you will find you have expressed, you've put yourself into it by default because you wrote it. But he said, don't start out trying to write about you right? because you'll ultimately write something worthless and stupid. But if you write what's true, it'll be a good story, and you'll find out you've actually inserted yourself in it by mistake. And I feel like Tolkien, right. he he loved so much of what was good and true and he wrote about those things mm-hmm. and in the end you see the things he loved like the gospel and all that working out in it.
1: Mm-hmm. So you said that like some of the interactions between characters helped you understand theological concepts or something like that. Can you like give a couple examples of that? Because I've not actually like heard you or anybody else talk about that specifically I don't think.
0: Well I'm just thinking of I mean you've got I think of Sam and the elves. And in my mind, the elves are very analogous. I know people who are going to shoot me for using that word. They're (laughs) very analogous to the Christians. And so you see, I feel like with Sam, he he loves the elves. He loves everything the elves do, and he feels this calling to find the elves and see the elves and listen to songs and stories and things. And I feel like that is a picture of a non believer looking in on the church from the outside, but mm-hmm. someone who who has had the Holy Spirit put into their heart yeah, looking for something, and they know what it is, and they want to go find it, and when they see it, they just kind of sit. And it's not necessarily what they expected. And in a way, mm-hmm. it's a little bit terrifying, but they're still enthralled by it, and they can't quite say why, and they can't leave. And it's not because something's forcing them to stay. They just can't bring themselves to do it.
1: Interesting. Yeah, that's cool. I also so here's actually one that I've thought about before. This actually really just helped me understand. I think this concept better when Gandalf is talking to Frodo in Moria about Gollum. I think I think that's when it is. Or no 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 wait he does that's, talk to. Him. It's in the movie that he talks about this. Says this there in the book. I think it's it's a it's uh, in, Hobbiton. Yeah, it's in it's the... actually in Bagan. Yeah. Um, but when he when Frodo asks him like, why didn't Bilbo kill Gollum or like he should have just killed him and I'm blanking on the actual quote, but saying that, like. It was pity that stayed his hand. It was pity that stayed his hand, and also that he might yet, like, have a part to play in this. Yeah. And that, like, was actually a good thing. And, like, essentially, this evil was allowed to stay in the world. Yeah. But because of that, like, you still know that it's going to end up being good. Yeah. Even if he di- didn't, like, actually end up having any more part to play in it, Gandalf still would have. Said that, I think, or like, like, it still would have implied that, like, everything that happens will work out for good, yeah, kind of. And like, everything is like, and just like thinking about the idea of God being sovereign and everything working out for the good of those who love Him, and God having a plan for the world Mm. and for His people. And we're just supposed to trust Him and trust that He has a good plan, that He has His plan is what's best for us, even if. A lot of horrible things happen to us, but we're supposed to trust in that. Even though this evil is allowed to be in the world, mm-hmm. that evil may end up being good. It will end up resulting in a good. Yeah, that
0: also makes me think of, I was just reading with my students the other day. We were in First Samuel, but all the accounts of Saul chasing David. And there's the two times that David could have killed Saul. When he uh, he went into the cave and David, and all of his men were in there, and he cuts off the hem of his robe and comes out and says, look, I could have killed you and I didn't. Would a true enemy have done this? And then the time where he um, he goes and takes the picture, both both times in the cave and when he goes and sneaks in their camp at night, there's somebody with him that says, the Lord has delivered your enemy into your hand. Take his spear and kill him. Mm-hmm. And David says, should I lift my hand against the Lord's anointed? And this you even see this, this goes way back even to the garden. There's a thing offered, and it's a thing that's promised to go to that person. Yet there's both a right way and a wrong way of taking it. So even if you look at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, there's strong reason to think in other places in Scripture that they may have been intended to eat of the tree eventually. Mm-hmm. Lewis kind of argues the same point in his space trilogy and uh, Paralandra with his kind of analogy of, mm. of the garden. But David here, he's promised he's going to be king. He has the opportunity to kill Saul and take the throne for himself now. Or he can wait and just trust that God's going to do what he says. He doesn't know how, but it's going to happen. Right. And you've kind of got the same thing with Gollum there. Bilbo could have killed him and made it out. And we kind of, in a sense, really couldn't have faulted him for it. Yes. I mean, Gollum's not a pretty likable creature. (laughs) But he instead shows pity. He... Shows mercy to Gollum. Mm -hmm. And while Gollum does cause problems, I mean, he bites off, spoiler alert, he bites off Frodo's finger in the end. (laughs) Ultimately, he, another spoiler alert, is the reason the ring gets destroyed. Yeah. Who would have saw it coming? Right. Except Tolkien. Yeah. (laughs) And maybe Gandalf, who knows? Maybe Gandalf knew. Right. (laughs) um, And and also... He was in cahoots with a Right. (laughs) 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 In
1: cahoots with (laughs) a <laughs> um <laughs> Uh well I was about to say a thing. I don't remember what it was now. Uh, oh, that uh Frodo and like Frodo continues even like when they're traveling with Gollum and like he continues to show mercy to him Yeah the whole time. And Sam hates him and he's like, Bro, why why are you keeping this guy around? He's just gonna betray us like he already has. He literally has like already tried to betray us and kill us. But Frodo's like, no no, mercy. And then that ends up being, like you said, like the reason that the ring gets destroyed. Well this is even also a sense I just thought of this. And there's a lot of Christ figures at different times. No one character in Lord of
0: the Rings is Christ the whole way through. Like in Narnia where you've got Aslan who's clearly Christ. Right. I feel like that's an example of Gandalf being Christ to Frodo and Sam, who are almost like the disciples, hmm. they're left with a calling, and they're left to do these things, and they're left it. Gandalf is not there with them anymore. But Frodo's still saying to Sam, no, Gandalf told us to treat him this way. Gandalf told us to do these things. He told us this was the mission. Right. We're going here. This is how we're supposed to do it. This is how we're supposed to carry ourselves and conduct ourselves. And Sam is willing just to go, look, maybe Gandalf didn't see this coming. Maybe Gandalf didn't know mm-hmm. And Frodo says it doesn't really matter. Gandalf told yeah. us to do these things. Gandalf would want us to keep it this way. You can pull the, maybe he didn't, he didn't see the specific situation coming. Maybe he did. But we should still honor him and what he would have us to do. Yeah. I just, I just thought of that. That's, I think, an instance of like a Christ figure
1: in the story. Yeah, that's very interesting. And it's also a Christ figure not in the way that I normally think of Christ figures. Cause like normally I hear yeah. Christ figure and I'm like ah sacrifice, but that's a very interesting. And I, know, I uh, like thought I, those on that was just off top of my head. I yeah. could be way off on that. <laughs> <laughs> it, may, it may be like a technically incorrect term or use maybe. of the term, but that's still definitely a parallel. I think parallel maybe is a word that you could use more accurately and that would appease more people rather than the word analogy, in talking yeah. about Lord of the Rings, because there are yeah. definitely parallels. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And like, because even he himself, like, denied any intentional analogy.
0: Yeah, I think parallel would be more of the word. Because that was the thing, even as I've, of course, brought my copy of On Fairy Stories. Yep. that something he talks about a lot is the idea of fairy story. He alludes to the parallelism, we'll say, mm-hmm. of storytelling to the gospel. And even he ties the idea of storytelling specifically with fairy stories, he calls it, which is kind of like fairy tales but also myth and just kind of mm-hmm. with um, just storytelling in general it's a aspect of what it means to be made in the image of God it's it's he calls it subcreation. creation mm-hmm. so just like God created us in his image and he he's put us in situations and relationships with each other so we to a lesser extent have this ability to do that through storytelling but even then god does it for his own glory so that those whom he's created can glorify him we can do a similar thing on a lesser scale but the even the ones that we create in a good story ultimately don't point back to us the storyteller but him our
1: creator right and mirror his perfect story yeah. that he's telling mm-hmm. and that's just like that's exactly the same thing that i would believe about like art in general that art is supposed to be an imitation of god's creation and our act of creating art is to be an imitation of god's creation yeah, yeah, yeah. of creation yeah but it's not that we're creating something out of nothing it's more of like an echo or imitation as Miss wilber actually said in class today we were talking about this it's like an echo or imitation of that act of creation and it's an echo and imitation of that creation so we're not creating anything out of nothing Mm-hmm. Because we're imitating what God's created, but at the same yeah. time, there is a parallel between the acts of creation. Yeah, that's interesting. Because, I mean, obviously, we can't create out of nothing. Right, exactly. <laughs> I heard somebody... W- like, w- nowadays, people want something that's, like, new. And if you're just doing the yeah. same... Like, it's originality. Originality is king. <laughs> and I think Mr. Orr might have talked about this when we had him on yeah, he did. At, at the beginning. But the idea that in order for something to be good, it has to be new and not been done before mm-hmm. is one not sustainable I think and then but also be it just like doesn't allow you to repeat truth really like in like ultimately in like an ultimate sense I think because if somebody tells a really good story that has a lot of truth in it and relies on all those things like truth and beauty and goodness and all the things that are natural in God's creation then somebody else can't go and make another story like that yeah. With all those things in it necessarily because it's already been done. And so the the reason we like to hear these stories over and over and over again is because they're true. Mm-hmm. And because they are, they have these like transcendental properties and are in, in bleh, bleh, bleh. they're an imitation of God's creation by way of, or I guess they have the truth and the goodness by way of being an imitation. And so there's, I feel like, I can't remember who it was. Somebody, I was talking to somebody recently about a movie and it being, like, just a traditional story. And they didn't necessarily try to do anything super fancy or, like, totally turn the tables on you and, like, oh, you didn't see it coming. But it still told, like, kind of like the archetypal story, but it did some super specific things that were interesting with it. But ultimately it was, like, the same story arc of, like, the generic story. And that's why, that's what made it so good. That makes me think of,
0: uh, we just found out my youngest brother Atticus, uh, we found out well, there's several movies he has not seen that we just assumed he had seen. And one of them on the list was the Princess Bride. Oh my gosh! That well, I mean, he's only nine, so I mean, oh, okay, we, actually, yeah, <laughs> <that's> <laughs> we fair. caught him. We caught him early. Yeah, but I think that's a good example. I was actually telling my other brothers we were watching it. He'd seen it before, but I said this movie, by all accounts, is a really bad movie. The mm-hmm. props, the sets, everything is cheesy like 80s low-budget film. Right. Yet for some reason, it is an amazing movie. Yeah. And it can only be the story. Yeah. The story, is, in if you think about it, it's got those motifs of this couple that live in this great place. They get separated by a tragedy. She's in danger, taken by a false husband, in a sense. Mm-hmm. The true husband has to come back through deception and things, which... Uh, I think it was in the, the sermon at church yesterday. It was, yeah. The idea of being wise as serpents and innocent as innocent as doves. Mm-hmm. He's in a sense he's he's a kind, loving person, but he's also employs all this deception, chases her mm-hmm. down, fights off literally giants and rodents like, of unusual size. size, Italians. I mean, uh, <laughs> uh-huh. fights off all <laughs> Sicilians. these Sicilians. Yes, slightly <laughs> different. I can say that because I'm like one thirty second Sicilian, <laughs> but, but okay. <laughs> um, but anyway, so he hunts. He hunts her down. He rescues her. Saves her. Like he leads her through all these. Almost like I guess you could say the fire swamp is like hell. He leads her through hell. Yeah. Brings her out. He dies. Yep. They resurrect him. Yep. He comes in, saves her, takes her out, and then they live happily ever after. But yeah. you've got you've got basically like a, a small scale story of the gospel account there. Yes. They go from a garden, kind of back to paradise they're
1: together again <laughs> yeah that's true but and then he's like and he's like also the archetypal like hero character yeah which is essentially an archetypal christ character yeah but yeah that's true i hadn't really thought about the like the props and sets in that movie are actually not like top quality but you don't notice it because the you story don't. is so yeah, good yeah <laughs> exactly he's like man and, and the writing the, part- the writing is also really good there's also that that's true but yeah but like primarily the story is just so I want to say perfect, but I don't really like to say perfect about things because nothing's perfect.
0: But the, the thing that hit me was the like because you know the part where he's sitting there and in Diego Montoya is telling him about the sword. You're just so enthralled with it. Yeah, I leaned over to my brother. I said, "That is the cheapest looking sword hilt I've ever seen." <laughs> you, you don't think about it. Yeah, because you like your imagination runs with it. It's mm-hmm. it's one of the few movies that's come to think of it that I think I've seen where my imagination plays into it. It looks way more cooler in my head remembering it than it does when I actually see it on the screen. That's true. And so I'm like, the sword looks really cool, and I actually see it, and I'm like, that's a really, what is that, plastic?
1: (laughs) That's like (laughs) the cheapest looking sword ever. Yeah. Well, we're almost out of time. Do we want to talk a little bit about how not doing, I don't want to say not doing the traditional things with story, but like, like making stories devoid of these like archetypal archetypes and like truths that are like transcendental truths that have been in a part of like story like in the history of man like making a story without any of those things is a bad story and like can we think of any examples specifically of like here's a story that was trash and not just we don't like it but like nobody actually (laughs) thought it was good and of course we normally avoid those stories ourselves so there's Into the Spider-Verse. You're so wrong. That movie is perfect. That's one of the few things that I will say is actually perfect. You're just wrong. And I will kill you on this hill. I will not die on this hill. <laughs> but I will kill you on it.
0: <laughs> now I to think of something
1: else. It does all the archetypal story things.
0: <laughs> I don't know, I feel like have you read The Hunger Games? Nope. Have you seen the movies at least? Nope. No. Oh. Well the Hunger Games. You better I've... not spoil it. Hmm?
1: So don't spoil it.
0: Well, that's the only example I can think of. Well, think of another <laughs> one. I mean an example I can think of. We were talking about Star Wars before. Yeah. Um we are talking about, you've got the originals and then the prequels and, and the sequels. Those are perfect.
1: Well, okay, not perfect.
0: <laughs> but they're good. Um, sequels are not. But we are talking about, yeah, the problems with the sequels. Mm-hmm. And I feel like there's a lot in there that what they missed was telling that archetypal story. Yeah. Because if you think about the original one, like the, the Star Wars movie, which is now called A New Hope, mm-hmm. you have the orphan child who finds out that he's not really who he is. He lives with his uncle who's like his false dad. And then some old guy shows up and says, you're a wizard Harry. I mean, um, (laughs) your father was a Jedi Knight. I mean, you've got this story that's told all the time. And they kind of continue that through the originals and then kind of in the sequels, you see a lot of those themes. The prequels? Or or the prequels, sorry. You see some of the archetypal themes kind of at play again. Mm -hmm. But then in the sequels, they just kind of threw a lot of that out the window. You get a lot of, I mean, like you get like, the, I mean, you got,
1: like, Rey, his orphan character. Yeah. But then they didn't actually do anything cool with, like, she wasn't anybody significant, which I think yeah. is what they were trying to do, but that, like, wasn't interesting. No. Like, she didn't end up actually being a special person. And then, well, then she did, because then she ended up being, like, the grand kid of Emperor Palpatine. Which is not what we wanted Which is see. also not what we wanted. Yeah. And then, And then, okay, so another thing that I've heard, this is, like, less of a archetypal story thing that they just didn't do, but more of a, they tried to redo this and it didn't work. Making the evil organization government thing that's like mysterious and you don't actually know how it got there. Because in the originals, you have the Empire mm-hmm. and it's awesome. Yeah. Like it just actually really feels like this scary evil government organization that's just, has taken over the galaxy. It was based off the Nazi And you have Party. no idea. Yeah. But like, you don't know how it started. You don't know to what extent it runs or like actually, like you don't actually really know much about it. Same thing with Darth Vader. That's why Darth Vader is like the perfect villain because he's just scary. Mm-hmm. And he's scary because you don't know what he is. And he just like walks ominously everywhere. <laughs> and, and then in the new, the sequels, they try to do the same thing with the first order and like, boom, scary government organization. But the way that they did it just, like, didn't really land right. It didn't... Like, we're we're left feeling confused rather than intrigued because of our lack of information.
0: We also got that feeling of, well, in the end, they both have their points of view, and how am I to really say that Kylo Ren is wrong? He just seems like a hurt individual who's maybe confused, and he's just in with the wrong people, and they're all kind of confused, too, as Mm -hmm. well. So who's really to say the Empire or this new First Order is bad? I mean... They're all, they, right. The real empire that was the old enemy's dead, and we can all agree they were bad, but who's to say that this new thing is bad or
1: good? Right. was kind of where I felt. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really just a problem I think with, okay, so I'm not gonna say that this is like completely wrong, necessarily, but the way that we write villains now, we try to make them relatable, and we try and like describe how they got to where they are, and like their psychological mm-hmm. trauma and stuff that made them who they, like this bad person, so like you understand why they would be this way rather than just making people who are bad and that's just what they are you know like yeah. it used to be villains like Humperdinck Humperdinck yeah. is just a bad dude and you they're not the, trying to like explain who he is or like why he's bad he's just bad if you read the book they explain him
0: and basically all that they explain about him is he's just an evil messed up dude at heart. Right. You get a whole lot more backstory into his childhood and everything. And basically, it's, he's just always
1: like torturing things. <laughs> That's yeah. That's basically what it comes back to. <laughs> yeah. And that was one thing I thought. This was part of what was really good, I thought, about the new Puss in Boots movie, The Last Wish. Actually, a pretty good movie. You should go watch it. But there's a character in there. So, for one, like one of the main antagonists is Death. And he's this dope wolf with like two scythes. And he has a scary whistle. Anyway. He's really, really good villain because he's also just bad. He's just death, and he's trying to kill Puss. There's also another character whose entire, like, personality is just that he's an irredeemable monster. And, like, he, like they even, like, reference his, like, childhood and his backstory, and he had, like, loving parents and, like, a wonderful life, but he was just evil. And so he mm-hmm. just turned out to be a bad person. And so he just does evil things the whole movie. And you're not, like... You're not supposed to feel sympathy for him at all. And it was actually very refreshing to just like have this bad guy who was just bad in yeah. like a new movie that just came out.
0: Yeah. That is something that's missing a lot, which we were talking about even before like Heath Ledger's Joker. Yeah. The, uh, the dark night mm-hmm. and the idea of which my pastor actually quoted in a sermon yesterday. Yep. You were there. Uh, but the, the quote where Alfred's, he tells that whole story about the, um, this person he encountered one time who was just doing things purely for the form of just causing the trouble. Mm-hmm. And then he ends it with talking about the Joker. He said, some men just like to watch the world burn. Right. We we tend to forget now that there there are just wicked people out there. And we even see evidence of this, not wanting to get, I mean, too dark, but I mean, in the media, you see instances of these people who were raised by loving parents in environments where they, they should have been Been exposed to love and kindness and generosity, and in the end, they end up very cold, selfish, heartless people. I mean, a lot of our celebrities and things, I mean, for a society that preaches love and acceptance, we're a very selfish, hateful society. That's true. And I feel like that's reflected in the stuff we put out now, where we want to sympathize with the villain more. Mm -hmm. And we're, we're, in a sense, I think some of it's, on some accounts, is intentional, getting us to forget there are generally wicked people in the world. And sometimes there's no excuse other than the fact that, I mean, they're children of their father, the devil, mm-hmm. and they love those. They love those things. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, I think I think it also goes back to kind of what we talked about, I think, a couple episodes ago, with people not taking responsibility for their actions. Yeah, and so we just chalk it up to, oh no, but it's because. They grew up in a broken home or like they ended up in a gang and when they were a kid and like whatever, like all these reasons Mm -hmm. for their psychological development. And that's why they're now a quote unquote bad person rather than just no, this person did these bad things and they're bad. But I also I want to be careful. I don't necessarily think that some people are just bad and some people are just good. And it's like even if this person grew up in a good environment, they're just a bad person. So they're going to end up being wicked. I disagree with that.
0: No, I'm saying, I think it comes back to what you love. Going back yes. to, to the idea of Augustine's disordered loves. Right. But I don't
1: think that like some people <clears throat> are destined, well.
0: Sorry, sorry what, I guess I should clarify that. What yeah. I what I mean more of is there are people who they love the things that they love and you would think that okay, they were raised in an environment where they were exposed to a kind, loving family, but they don't learn how to Love the correct things, so while they're exposed to, they have a good upbringing. They're protected from all these other things. They're raised around nice things we would deem mm-hmm. to be good. They're not taught to love them, and they right. don't develop okay, this nurturing love for them. Right. And at the end of the day, it we can say, well, okay, they were not abused as children. They were, didn't do drugs. They were, you know, they were kept relatively sheltered, mm-hmm. but they weren't taught to love. That and if they were nurtured in a rebellious nature inside of themselves, then it doesn't really matter what they were around as a child, it matters what kind of a person they became. And now they right. want horrible things and yeah. they just go out and do horrible things. Mm-hmm. It doesn't really matter to an extent what their upbringing was. Okay, they weren't abused as children, yeah, they weren't taught to love good things, and yeah. so they go off and do bad things now.
1: So, the point is, like, you can't always explain away a person's actions because of their upbringing.
0: Yeah, so like going back to the Joker. The
1: responsibility does lie within the person, not in, yeah. like you can't put it off.
0: Yeah, like going back to Heath Ledger's Joker, the point Alfred makes is what he loves is just chaos and destruction, mm-hmm. which is what they eventually have to realize at the end of the movie. He just he just likes to just watch stuff just erupt in just chaos and burn. Right. Well, I mean. And some people are just like that. Yeah, because that's what he loves. He doesn't love goodness. He loves just mm-hmm. chaos and destruction. Yeah. So I guess looking at the clock, that about brings us to the end of our time. We yep. may have gone a little bit over, but <laughs> mm. uh, I think this is a topic we plan on visiting again.
1: Yeah, in the some future, shape or form. Let's talk about. I said some shape or form. Yeah, we talking about doing fairy stories specifically. Yeah, also Star Wars specifically. Yes. <laughs> so we've got some other
0: other things with stories that we will come back to at yeah. different points,
1: but because stories are
0: important. So as usual, we'll have stuff up on the blog. The blog's usually, the point of it is just kind of be a brief, just synopsis of, just a synopsis of what we're kind of shooting for. It's not meant to be super detailed at all, so mm-hmm. if you miss an episode and decide, is it worth listening to, maybe check that out first and then say, oh, I'm interested in this, or maybe I'm not. Right. You can skip it and, I don't know, listen to something else. <laughs> yeah. Find a good story to read. Right. <laughs> anyway, uh... Thank you for listening again, and check back in next week. But until then, take care. Well,
1: actually, we probably will not be back next week directly. That is true. We're going to be going on to, like, every other week just until the end of the semester because I'm about to graduate, and I have a whole lot going on. So I don't have enough time to do this every week. But once school's over, we'll be back to every week. Yeah, so I guess I should say until whenever next time is. Yes.
0: (laughs) So uh, with that having been amended, thank you for listening and until next time, take care.